Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, as you're turning there, I just want to remind you kind of what we're doing here. We are uh, in a short series of sermons where we're working our way back through our church uh, mission and vision just to get us all on the same page because, you know, uh, in a church like ours and with so many different activities, so many different events, so many different things, it's easy to kind of get off on the side streets, get distracted, uh, get busy doing a bunch of things that don't move the needle. And we hope to stay super focused together on on inspiring people to follow Jesus and reaching 1% of area code 865 by the year 2030. Well, Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine, you know, um, I really wrestled through how to unpack this for you today because Matthew chapter nine, particularly verses 35 through 38, is a moment that Jesus pulls away from his ministry to refocus his disciples. And it's easy in Matthew chapter eight and chapter nine to get caught up in all that Jesus is doing. But here in this brief moment, these short three verses that we're gonna study, he pulls them away so that they can remain focused. And friends, if there's anything we need to do today, I believe it's that. Like we need to pull away and really make certain that we're focused on advancing the kingdom of God with every breath that he gives us because we're living in interesting days. Some scholars believe that we're living in the largest and fastest transformation of religion in American history. Let me just say that again. We're living among the the largest and fastest transformation of religion in American history. There's a group of scholars and authors who have begun to refer to what we are experiencing as the great de-churching. As our culture is decidedly post-Christian and people no longer see the need to be united to a body of family of faith like you have by your attendance here today. We need to make certain that in all that we do, We are clear and focused on the mission at hand. And if we will do that, I believe that people will be drawn to the Lord. Remember the scripture says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. And so Jesus wants to draw people to himself and he has chosen to use you and me as ambassadors for Christ to do so. And if we're experiencing a great de-churching, the problem is not with God, but with the people who are called to be his representatives. And so how do we wrestle through this? A a couple weeks ago, man, it was like the Lord exploded this in my heart. I I got to visit the Air Force Academy, super cool. If you never visit the Air Force Academy, super cool. Um, So going through there and and, and a video with a few of the chaplains, uh, one of the chaplains says, you know, as the chaplains, we really want to make certain we minister to the cadets who have a religious moral center and we care for the cadets who have a non-religious moral center. And I thought, we're distinguishing our moral centers? You know, I just thought, I, like, I literally thought, it just kind of took me back for a second, like, what? And he was trying to say, like, like there's this worldview that is a faith-built moral center. And there's this worldview that is not faith-built. It's culturally built moral center. And even at our Air Force Academy, there's this, this division to the approaches of how you're going to care for cadets who have needs based on what their worldviews might be. 
This should break our hearts today because we are seeing more clearly today than ever before that we live in biblical Babylon. You see, many of us, we want to have this idea and we want to see the world with these rose-colored glasses and we even assume that the people we're around are Christ followers. But hear me today. If you truly are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are in the minority, not the majority. And the culture that we live in is not a culture that desires to advance the principles of the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that. And our attempts to minister to culture are attempts to be salt from a salt shaker to preserve what is good so more people might have time to come to faith in Christ. But hear me clearly, the end is clear. Jesus is returning and he will bring with him new Jerusalem. So I will never be comfortable in Babylon when I was designed for Jerusalem. And so many of us are trying the very best we can to fit in now. Friends, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will never fit in now. Because what Jesus does in you is he changes you and transforms you to prepare you for your eternal home when he returns and we receive it. And so my hope is in what's coming, not what is now. And if I'm left to live in what is now, how then should I live? Like if, if this is what it is and if this is my opportunity How can I live differently? Well, friends, if you want to live differently than the world around you, faith cannot just be a part of your life. It must be all of your life. Like this is God's original intent, not that you would have a church life and an everyday life, but that you day in and day out would be so filled with the spirit and you'd be people of faith that this world would no longer have its lure in your soul. Listen to what James wrote in James chapter one, verse 27. He said, religion is pure and undefiled before God. The father is this religion that is pure and undefiled before the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now we know that part. Like we hear that part all the time from missions organizations, love to visit the orphans, love the widows. But that verse finishes. Listen to what James says. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Friends, this is the responsibility of people who call themselves disciples. Yes, to visit orphans and yes, to love widows, but to keep oneself unstained from the world seems to be this forgotten instruction from James chapter one. But keeping oneself unstained from the world is what it really looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple by definition is a follower. It's one who accepts and one who assists in spreading the doctrines of another A disciple is a person who follows Jesus and and wants to be on his mission. That means we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the promptings from the word of God that we might carry out the mission of God in our lives. And hear me clearly today, like this is our hope for you. People say to me from time to time, pastor, man, I just feel like the church has an agenda. We have an agenda. We have a very clear agenda that you would become a disciple of Christ and that Jesus would do such a work in you 
that when people saw what Jesus does in you, they would go, man, I want some of that. And they'd be inspired to follow Jesus because of the way you live your life. We have a very clear agenda for you. So what we've got to wrestle with today is how do we actually become that disciple? Like, what does it look like to truly follow Jesus? Because I believe with all my heart, the reason we see so much panic and anxiousness and decay in the church is because we've adopted a definition of a disciple as one who lives in the world and enjoys the world, but has fire insurance against hell in the afterlife. That we have this idea of a disciple that I can be just like the world and it's all gonna be okay. But let me show you today from God's word. Like this is what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. Stand with me, let's study it together. Matthew chapter nine, verse 35. Matthew chapter nine, verse 35. And the scripture says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So while you're there in your text, like, I want you to understand what's happening in Jesus' ministry. Like, just look at the headings. You know, my headings say things like, Jesus heals a man who is unable to speak. Jesus heals a, or two blind men. A girl restored to life and a woman healed. Questions about fasting. fasting. Jesus calling uh, Matthew. He's calming a storm. He's healing a paralytic. He heals two demon-possessed men. He, he heals many. The faith of the centurion. He cleanses a leper. Like, just, just look in verses or chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Matthew's gospel to understand what's happening in Jesus' ministry at this time. Some scholars think that Jesus is now ministering to over 3 million people when he writes these words. But also notice the rhythm. Like Jesus goes and has this public ministry where, where he's been doing all kinds of things and then he pulls his disciples away, chapter eight, verse 18, and talks about the cost of following Jesus. He, he goes and, and does all these incredible things and he pulls his disciple away and he calls Matthew. He goes and does all these exciting things and then he pulls his disciples away and it's like, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Like, like this is how Jesus is working this rhythm to help his disciples understand exactly what he desires from them. Now, now don't be confused. Like when, when Matthew wrote his gospel, he didn't go, okay, uh, chapter nine, verse 35. So, so the scripture numbers and the headings that we were just looking at, those were added after. That's, that's not inspired by the Lord. The scripture itself is inspired by the Lord, but the headings help us see. So when you're studying your Bible, like use those headings to kind of help you understand to follow that logical train of what he's doing and recognize that Jesus is on this mission. And the mission that we begin to see develop in eight and nine of, of Matthew's gospel is this mission to reach people. Like he's ministering, he's teaching, but all for the purpose of reaching them with the gospel message. Now, for those of you that are linear thinkers, you're really gonna struggle with this. But the first point today is if you want to be a disciple of Christ, you've got to reach people, verses 37 and 38. And before you panic, we'll get back to verse 35. You'll be okay. 
but you gotta reach people. Like Jesus, this is what he's doing. He's on this journey and he's reaching them. He's, he's going to them so that they would receive his gospel. Look at verses 37 and 38. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. Like Jesus' goal for all of this was that people would be reached, that the harvest would be harvested and that laborers and workers would be sent for additional harvest. But listen to these unfortunate statistics today. Statistics tell us that there are about 40 million adults in America today who used to go to church but no longer do. Think about it like this. This accounts for 16% of the adult population in America who at one time were connected to a local church and now are not connected to a local church. For the first time in over 80 years, more people do not attend church than attend church. Hear me now, the line at Home Depot is a mile long right now. Sunday mornings has become home project time. Everybody just seems to think, well, this isn't a big deal. We can just go on about our business and do what we want to do. You know, come springtime, we see a change in here. We, everybody wants to go to the lake on Sundays. Listen, I love the lake. I'm for the lake. But Hebrews 10 is like, don't neglect gathering together. But we get a problem if the lake is more enticing than the power and the presence of God. I mean, think about it. This morning you had a little harder time coming to church. Didn't go so well last night. In the fall, you should see how our attendance works with the success of Tennessee football. I'm becoming more of a Tennessee fan just because of what it does to church on Sunday. When I'm talking about the offering. But, but we allow all these things and statistics are showing like, like we don't have this mindset of mission. We have this mindset of customer service. Well, what can the church do for me? I didn't like that song or I, I like that song. L- l- hear me clearly. Like the songs that we pick and we sing, they're not actually for you. They're for the Lord. And we together, you're not singing to people on a platform and they're not singing to you, but we together are lifting praise that's acceptable in the sight of our Lord. And so we're gonna pick stuff that glorifies him. You say, well, I like the old stuff. I do too. And I like the new stuff. I do too. I plan on being in heaven a long time and we're gonna sing it all. But the focus of a disciple is like reaching people, not being served by a church, but being connected to a body of believers to move forward on the mission. I think three times in our history we've gotten it. It's called the first great awakening in the 1730s. I mean, the church began to see itself as the extension of the mission of God. How about the second great awakening in the 1790s and the the four decades after the Civil War in the 1870s? Like in these seasons, the church understood that it was to reach people, it was to teach people, and it was to minister to people. And all of a sudden, we see churches explode because God's people did what God had called them to do as disciples of Christ. They were not enslaved to the whims of a political party. They were simply focused on the message of the gospel, the kingdom of God. I I believe 
Then in the 1990s, it's where it really began to change. And if you're a student of American church and religious, religious philosophies, you'll remember the 1990s where it was the season where churches focused on systems. Churches got good at being churches, but they focused so much of their energy and effort on managing ministries that they had started, they forgot the mission to which they'd been called. And Christianity began to be known by attendance of church events rather than as the disciples see in the scripture, people reached with the gospel message. Like, like understand, like, like people knew you were a Christian because you were sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith in Christ in the New Testament. Today, people know you're a Christian because you wear the t-shirt from the latest event you attended at the church. There's a massive difference. And what we've got to understand is that to be a disciple of Christ, it's not about your drawer being stuffed full of t-shirts from the latest retreat. It's about the fact that you're reaching people with the gospel of Christ. Jesus called his disciples back and he said, look out there now, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You can think about it like a military example, right? And I love our military. I'm so thankful for the men and women who serve in our armed forces, but those guys and gals go through in extensive training. I mean, think about all that you have to go through to serve in our military. But they don't do those things to hang out on base. They're trained up so that in a moment's notice when their nation needs them, they can be deployed to go into hostile territory to difficult places and bring peace or restore order or advance the mission to which they've been called. Like their training is not for the base, their training is for the mission. And many of us in American Christianity think that we're just supposed to know a bunch of stuff and hang out. But that's not what the Bible says a disciple does. If a disciple is someone who does what Jesus does, if a disciple is someone who's following Jesus in his steps and representing him, what does it look like? 2 Corinthians 5. The scripture says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul to the church at Corinth is like, like, here is what it looks like to be a disciple. See yourself as an ambassador. Generally speaking, an ambassador is a respected official that acts as a representative of a nation. And he reflects the official position of that nation to the ones he's before. Like that's what it looks like to be a disciple that's reaching people. We're an ambassador sent into the harvest fields with the message of reconciliation that the harvest might be had and people might be won and that heaven might be populated. You see, at the core of Christian discipleship, friends, is reaching people. That's why last week we started with those Inspire cards so that we could stay focused on reaching people. The core of Christian discipleship is not Bible knowledge. It's reaching people with the gospel message. We cannot rely on the systems and processes of the church to reach people. Hear me now. People reach people. 
That's how it works. That's why in chapter 10, Jesus begins to send out his disciples two by two. Because it's not gonna be the message of a distant man. It's going to be the example of real people before their eyes that makes them understand what Jesus has done and desire to be a a part of it. Friends, reaching people is the start of discipleship. It's the beginning place. Many of us, we, we, we think that our attendance here today at this church gathering is what discipleship's about. Understand, God is pleased that you are here, but God's desire for you is that this, this gathering will fire you up, will inspire you, will burden you to go back to your neighborhood, to go back to your office environment, to go into some family dynamics and reach people with the gospel message as an ambassador for Christ. What does Christian discipleship look like? It looks like reaching people. Second, it looks like teaching people. Look up in verse 35. See, all you linear folks, you okay? We got there. I told you, look in verse 35. Reach people, teach people. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. See, Jesus here, he's going through these villages, And he first goes to the synagogues. That's important because those were the religious people. They were near the kingdom, but yet not yet had received the Messiah's message. And so he goes and he teaches them who he is and what he's going to do. And so his his entry method was an entry method of, of great transparency and authenticity. And he would tell them that he was the Messiah. And so he was he was proclaiming, if you underline this Bible in your Bible, underline this, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is different than the gospel of Judaism. This is different than the gospel of the culture. It was a very specific gospel that he was proclaiming. And this gospel that he was proclaiming was the message about himself, that he would die as a willing sacrifice in the place of sinners, that his death would provide sufficient payment for sin, and that he would be resurrected from the grave after three days, and that through his life, he could secure eternal victory for all those who might put their faith and trust in him. Like this is the gospel of the kingdom, that there was no one who could do for you what Jesus did for you, that he died in your place, that you could be rescued and reconciled, and he set you at a place of honor, heirs to the kingdom of heaven because of his victory over death itself. Like this is the gospel message. And this is what Jesus came teaching. Friends, I really believe with all my heart, the reason why the statistics are like the way the statistics are when it comes to church, that we're in a season of the great de-churching, I really believe it's because our spiritual formation of disciples is lacking. You see, when Jesus came teaching the gospel of the kingdom, it did not fit in any of society's order. You couldn't pin him in a political party. You couldn't identify him as, oh yeah, he's just like those people. He was distinct and different because he lived according to a specific mission. And friends, the distinction for Christ followers today is the mission of God. But we've made our life about everything else other than the mission of God. No wonder we're not seeing the transforming power of God in our lives because we're chasing everything else. But Jesus was trying to teach people that if you really want to receive the power of God, then you're gonna have to live in a specific way. 
You see, some people go, well, pastor, that, that's, that's where you lose me. Like, Christianity is so narrow. Oh, oh, hear me. Christianity is very narrow. There is one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ. He revealed to us the very living word of God that we might, through the counsel of the Holy Spirit and the testimony of the inspired, active word of God, know how to live. I guess the same story every Sunday. You know that, right? My sermons were critiqued not too long ago that I preached the same thing every week. Yes. I preach the same thing every week because there is one way to God and it's through Jesus Christ. See, it is a narrow way. But what we've got to understand what happens for so many of us is we view salvation as the end of our spiritual journey. But salvation is not the end of our spiritual journey. It's the beginning of our spiritual journey. Disciples are on a long walk in the same direction following the footsteps of their king. Like it's a marathon race, it's not a sprint. And so as Jesus is going through these villages, he's proclaiming the gospel with great compassion, he's teaching them and helping them see that if they would repent of their sins and come to faith in him, that he would adopt them into his family and usher them into the very presence of God. You see, we receive the gospel of the kingdom and become citizens of heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul wrote in Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verse 3, the scripture says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, since you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose who slaves you once, once were? Like, See this, like he's, Paul's going, why would you go back to the weak God of materialism? Why would you go back to the weak God of popularity? Why would you go back to the weak God of pridefulness when you've been adopted as a son and daughter of God? You see, this is an entirely different mindset. And the question we've got to wrestle with today is, are we subscribing to the gospel of the kingdom or to the gospel of Western evangelicalism? Because Western evangelicalism is getting tied to too many cultural and, and worldly things. I mean, Western Christians now are tied to a political party, but not citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Western Christians now are tied to an ideal or a way of life, but not people who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Like all of this stuff that gets critiqued and pigeonholed, that is not people who are living according to the principles of the kingdom. The principles of the kingdom are outlined in Matthew chapter five to Matthew chapter seven. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus was teaching people how to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And friends, this is what we need more of. 
We need people of the book, people of the Bible who are standing on truth and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. We've got to teach people how to think, not just what to think, so that when they're out on their own and don't know what to think, they know how to filter everything through the word of God and the ministry of, of being an ambassador that they've been entrusted with. Think about it like this, like everything I do should be filtered through the lens of will this action help people understand the kingdom of God that is ruling my life? Will this action help people see Jesus? Will help them understand the kingdom of God that's ruling my life? You see, this worldview keeps me from doing things and it requires me of other things. Like if I'm gonna live according to a biblical worldview and I'm gonna be a disciple, I'm bound by the word of God. I'm bound by the word to live out his mission before other mission. This is why I teach kids the gospel instead of letting them decide. You say, what are you talking about? Listen, it's culturally acceptable to say, well, I'm just not gonna pressure my kids. Deuteronomy 6 tells you to teach them in the morning and teach them in the evening. Your children should have to run from Jesus because you should constantly be teaching them Jesus. If they're not gonna become people of faith, it's because they willfully chose to run from your instruction and the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Like, put away this, well, I'm just not gonna force it on them. Friends, if they're in your house and under your authority, you should enforce this before anything else. You say, well, I don't know, man, my, my college student, he's just out on his own. Bro, if you're paying the bills, you bring them home and have them in God's house. You say, how's that gonna work for you? I don't know, but I'm gonna try. And before I was a parent, I had seven principles for parenting and I became a parent and had seven vague ideas that don't really work. <laughs> but we gotta try to teach people and this is one of those things, it's like, man, we are bound by this as mamas and daddies. We gotta teach our kids the word. We can't, no, I'm just gonna let them figure it out. No, no, you're, you're, you're gonna teach them what you believe. In our family, we'll say things like, oh, no, no, that's just not what Harrisons do. Dad, can we? That's just not what Harrisons do. I'm waiting on the day when I was like, well, I don't want to be a Harrison, you know, but, <laughs> but the idea is like, like we got to teach them. Like, this is why, like, we're, we're bound by things. We, this is why we got to stand against the cultural whims that oppose the clear teachings of scripture. Like, our stand for truth is not because we want to be jerks. Our stand for truth is because we are bound by the truth found in the word of God. This is why we love people, but we can't stand for the acceptance of homosexuality in our culture. Like we can love them without agreeing with what they're doing so that we can call them to Christ and teach them how to live. This, this is why we can minister to needy people without enabling them to live dependent upon a system of others. Like we can love them and minister them, but yet not empower them or not enable them to continue to live the way they're living. This is how we can love the refugee even when it's inconvenient and difficult and doesn't fit in our political party because God called us to love the refugee. This is why, man, the church, like, like we gotta raise the standard of what biblical marriage, and we've gotta stop allowing church people and just sitting on the sidelines as we watch marriages dissolve in the church for unbiblical reasons. Hey, man, like, 
It will never be easy to stay married. Why? Because it's an institution established by God that the devil hates. And so the devil is going to try and wreck your marriage. But you gotta stand for truth and say, I made a covenant and commitment before the Lord. And there are, some very, there are very few specific instances that Jesus here is like, hey, here's when you can divorce. Like, why is it that statistics in the church and outside the church are exactly the same when it comes to marriage? It's because we're not teaching people the truth about marriage. And, and while I'm here, listen to me, young adults. Like, you don't gotta live together before you get married. I know culture says, well, you gotta figure it out. God made you, man, you'll figure it out. But you gotta stay holy and pure, unstained by the world, and go into your marriage with your eyes on Jesus, not on your spouse. You go in your marriage with your eyes on Jesus in the good times and the bad times, like you will endure. You go into your marriage with your eyes on your spouse, you'll be like, next point, you're like, man, her breath don't smell like it did yesterday. You'll be like, he leaves his clothes everywhere. Yeah, like if your eyes are on them, all you'll see is their shortcomings. But when your eyes are on the Lord, you'll see his goodness in the midst of the difficulty you're enduring. Like we've got to teach people the truth because we're bound by some things. And Christian discipleship is not this. I can live however I want and have fire insurance at the end. Christian discipleship is very clear that flourishing and freedom is found when I live under the ultimate authority of God's word and his principles taught therein. So friends, if you wanna be a disciple, you reach people, you teach people, and finally today, you minister to people. You minister to people. You know, in the middle of all of this, his heart for the harvest and his instructions to the people He's healing every disease and affliction, verse 35. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. He ministered to them. Like Jesus saw the people as harassed sheep. Now, I, I, I love the outdoors. I don't, most of you know that about me by now, but I, I love the outdoors and um, when you are outdoors, you quickly learn that there's a pecking order. There, you, can, you, you, sign, you can call it a food chain if you want to. It's a pecking order. Have, have you ever seen two little birds chase around a hawk? They're just pecking on her back, just annoying them, trying to get them to leave them alone and go on. If you like the fish, you'll know like there's just fish that just come in and mess up the beds of the other fish just to annoy them. You know, like they're just messing up with things. In our backyard, we've got some turkey and we're trying real hard to have a lot of turkey because we wanna do other things with the lots of turkey. But we, we have one who limps and my children have named her Limping Lucy. And, and Limping Lucy is always out away from it. And what's happened most likely, no, you don't know this, but the others in the group have pestered her so much because they didn't like her to send her out of the group. And it's kind of heartbreaking but it's nature, you know? That's why that's the only one with the name, Limping Lucy, is the compassion of her kids. But it's like, just this pestering, this pestering. When Jesus looked out at the harvest fields, he saw them like that, people getting pestered. 
by a spiritual enemy who had already been defeated, but was still annoying him like crazy. Like, like see this picture now. Jesus knew of the victory he was offering, but was overwhelmed that the people were sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. And he was sending laborers to the harvest fields to end the pestering and invite to life those who were near. Friends, this is the ministry that God has entrusted to us. Like this is what ministering to people looks like. It's not that we wait for them to get cleaned up and then welcome them into our group. But while they were in their filth and mess, we run to them. Like see this prodigal son moment of the dad running to his son while his kid was a long way off, still covered in slop to welcome him home. This is what it looks like to minister to people. And that is not the job of a professional few. That is the commitment mission of every disciple of Christ. Like Jesus is sending these disciples out in Matthew chapter 10 because he sees the needs that surround him. And this is our call to be compelled with the compassion of Jesus to go to difficult places and difficult people because Jesus cares deeply for people. So how do I know Jesus cares deeply for people? Because he died in their place to set them free of the penalty of sin. So what does it look like to be a disciple? It's that I reach people. I teach people. And I minister to people. That they might be found in Christ. And be adopted into his kingdom. That's inspiring people to follow Jesus. And the truth is the, the best way we know to do that is through what we call Bible study groups. Hear me now. Bible study groups is when this large room breaks down into smaller rooms. And what the breakdown into smaller rooms does, it allows folks to speak into our lives to help us stay focused on reaching people, teaching people, and ministering to people. Look, if you're just doing this Lone Ranger by yourself, like you will get distracted. The enemy will pester you until you get distracted from reaching people, teaching people, and ministering to people. Man, I'm in a Bible study group. I stay on their absentee list and I get the pastor, would you come to Bible study phone calls? I'm like, well, I'm kind of busy when y'all are meeting. But even today, I went in and checked, checked in because I'm in a Bible study group. I, I attend a, an inner circle, which is a kind of inner group of a Bible study group on, on every other Wednesday night. And those are the guys that, man, they speak truth into my life and they're sitting among us today. Like we're on a text thread together and we were laughing and cutting up about a thing a few months ago. And one of them was like, hey boys, this is a slippery slope. And I was like, thank you, Holy Spirit. That's kind of embarrassing. The pastor in the group and somebody else is like, hey, let's hold up here. You know, but like, like every one of us need that sharpening. Every one of us need to be instructed. I don't teach my inner circle. I'm a participant in my inner circle. I do get asked to close in prayer quite a bit. But you know, it's like, it's, it's, but this, this sense of like, man, every one of us have to be connected into something. You're never going to reach people, teach people, and minister to people on your own. That's why I tell you church is so much more than just a worship service. So we introduced you to these new groups. You know, it's easiest to join a new group because everybody's new. But we have lots of groups. And I want to urge you, if you're not in a group today, I want you to try one. If you go in there and they're all weird, we know it's them and not you, so just try another one. Try another one. 
But this is the way we're going to reach people, teach people, minister to people. Hey, when, when I look at you, my prayer is one day that I don't look just at an audience of people, but I look at a collection of mission teams. These mission teams would be our Bible study groups that are reaching people, teaching people, and ministering to people in Jesus' name. And so if you want to be a part of what God's doing, we do this through our Bible study groups. It's through our Bible study groups that we're ministering in Maui right now in result of the fires. It's, it's through our Bible study groups that our missionaries all over the world that you get to meet in a couple weeks are getting cared for and ministered to. I'm on a text thread with some of our Bible study group leaders, with some of our missionaries in Europe. And it's hilarious and encouraging, uplifting and challenging all at the same time. And these guys are pouring in and making a difference. They're inspiring people to follow Jesus. But it all started because they began to see church as just more than something to attend, but a family to belong to and a mission to accept. And they were reaching people, teaching people, and ministering to people. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon, or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.